0: As Ed mentioned, our uh, SYF group, our, our high school youth ministry, spent this last week in Colorado Springs, and I had the opportunity to to join this year's mission trip, and it was it was a whole lot of fun. We got back yesterday at about four o'clock, and and I'll just say that um, I fell asleep in a van while somebody else was driving. Uh, at, at least at least at least once um but it was a fun and exhausting time altogether. We went with an organization called Next Step uh, Ministries and spent the majority of the week doing some uh, some some construction, some uh drywalling, some painting, some fence mending, uh things things like that and uh we worked hard Monday to Thursday and then when Friday came around uh we, we had to go and have a little fun. And so uh, we went whitewater rafting on the Arkansas River. We intentionally signed up for the beginning to intermediate level rapids, nothing above a level two or a level three. And a few of us even even had to check in with with some of our friends in the area just to make sure that they really were rapids that, that we would be okay with that they were rapids that, that we, we could handle, that we were being safe. And, and we were assured by those friends that everything was fine. We got to the place where we met our guides and picked up our gear. We, we ate our lunch, and, and all seemed well. We were ready for a fun day on the river. We got our life vests. We got our helmets, right, Brady? Yeah. Got, got our helmets. We, we, we ate lunch, uh, and, and then we had the safety talk. Now, it turns out there had been flash flooding in the Arkansas River the two days before we got there. And, and the guys kept referring to it as chocolate milk. And we learned later while we were on the boat that, that it can actually be a good thing because that means at this time in, in, in the year that the water level is, is higher. Um, so there's, there, there's more water, which is better when it comes to, to hitting rocks. The guide talked through the basics of paddling and shared about what to look for on the river. And then she talked about falling out of the boat and how to stay safe when we fell out of the boat. She made us place our hands over our heart and promised to not stand on the floor of the river. Josh, why? Because our foot would get stuck stuck and what would happen? You'd be doing push-ups on the bottom of the river. It's a good way to break an ankle, is, 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 is what they said. And so everything was great, everything was fun. She made us cross her heart, and, and she gave us this, this, this safety talk and ended it with this line, or something like this line. We don't mean to scare you, but we'd rather share this info with you now and hope we don't need it than need to rescue you without sharing it first. Fortunately, we only had one person fall out of the boat. Well, unintentionally fall out of the boat. They all ended up in the river at, at one point. Now, it wasn't a student who ended up in the river. It was, it, it was a leader. The psalm that we're looking at this morning has to do with being rescued. And my guess is at one point or another, we, we've all needed to be rescued from one thing or, or another. Maybe you've been stuck on the side of the road and someone like AAA or or a neighbor has had to come to your side. Maybe you've had a health emergency and a paramedic or an EMT showed up at your house. Or maybe you've been in a bind at home and and needed a friend to come over and and lock your door to check and see if it was locked or or to to, to run an errand for you. And while we've all been rescued, the way that we respond to the friend or doctor or whomever it is that is doing the rescuing, uh, the way that we respond is typically dictated by the severity of our need. And while God might use our friends and family to rescue us, responding to God in the way that God has rescued us is a little different than the way we respond to our friends, our psalm this morning, as we've been journeying through different psalms this summer, the, the Psalm 34 that we're, we're in this morning is written from the, the perspective, most likely David as he was, he was running from Saul who was pursuing him, uh, being rescued from his troubles and his fears. And he responds to his rescue, to being rescued by God with awe. Just an, an overwhelming sense of reverence. We've read the first half of the psalm already but starting at verse 15 we read this. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is broken to the broken the, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a story out of Luke 5 that mirrors the sort of awe or, or reverence that we see here in this, this, this psalm. It's the image that's painted the moment after Jesus calls out to Simon Peter early in the morning. Uh, many of us know the story. That Peter's out fishing with some of his friends. They return and they haven't caught anything. Jesus sees them and, and, and their nets are, are empty. And, and he calls out and says, hey, go out and and put your net on the other side of the boat put your net on the other side of the boat and, and see what happens now Simon Peter and his friends they had to be frustrated as they were cleaning their nets fishing was their livelihood did returning empty mean that they wouldn't eat that day did it possibly mean that they they wouldn't be able to provide for their families we don't really know the extent of what it meant. But it's a safe guess that they were exhausted, that they were defeated. And Jesus, he, he pushes them out. He says, no, 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 go go again. Try again. And what ends up happening? They, they catch more than they can handle. Upon catching the fish, Peter comes in. He falls to his knees and he cries out, Teacher, get out of here. Leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this all. When we look at Psalm 34 as as a whole, we see a back and forth where God listens to the cries of God's people. God's listening invokes a a response and then God rescues and delivers. There's also a a pattern in this, this psalm that um, comes pretty close to matching the liturgy that we follow here on Sunday morning. Believe it or not, when when Ed and I get together and talk through Sunday worship services, it's it's intentional. We we don't just kind of throw scripture up on the wall and throw some songs up on the wall and say, hey, does this work? We, we we actually we actually plan, hoping that from the call to worship at the beginning of the service, actually from the prelude at the beginning of the service to the postlude at the end of the service, that it all kind of sticks together. And, and we can see evidence in the psalm of, of, of a liturgy of sorts. And remember, when the psalms were written, how they were used in, in the, the early synagogues and the early, early churches, were, they were used for corporate worship. They were read out loud together. They were sung out loud together. It was an act of worship, and we see liturgy here in this psalm. It all begins with a, a, a call to worship. Our denomination has something called the Book of Common Worship. It's kind of like the, uh, the pastor's toolbox, if you will, for planning worship services on Sunday morning. And when it talks about the call to worship, it describes it in this way. It says, Words from Scripture are spoken or sung to proclaim who God is and what God has done. We are thus reminded that our worship centers in God and not on ourselves. So sometimes we use prayer, other times we'll have a responsive litany like we did today based on the a scripture passage, In others, it's music. This psalm starts by saying, I will extol, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify the Lord, let the afflicted hear and rejoice, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. There's an, an individual, personal expression of worship that's expressed here. We, we see over and over again, I will extol the Lord. I will glory in or magnify the Lord. But there's also an invitation for a, a, a congregation, a, a, a corporate participation in, 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 worth, in worship. Let us praise his name Together, Again, it mirrors worship services on Sunday morning, so during our, our mission trip this this last week, uh, it was refreshing and encouraging to, to join together with our, our, our students uh, every evening for a, a small or a short time of worship as we worship together at least during this this last week it didn 't appear like there are any divisions or, or cliques within the students. There wasn't a a cool group and then everybody else. There there was just students together. They all belonged. By by the second or third night, they were inviting the other groups that were there from Kansas to join with them. I think we have something to learn from our kids. They, They would they would wrap their arms around one another as they sang songs of praise. They would invite others to wrap their arms with one. Another. And if it was an upbeat song, what would you do then Brady? You, you moshed. What do you think that would look like in church here? All right. During our last hymn, during our last hymn, you guys are going to be jumping. Oh, and you got it. I, I think, you can do. we're going to be jumping around in, in, in church. It was one group together. Yes, it was individual, but it was one church coming together to worship. So what does it look like for us to be together in worship with barriers and walls broken down? What, what changes might we need to make as a church to wrap our arms around the shoulders of those who aren't here? What changes need to be made that we we might invite others to join with us in worship? The call to worship draws us to a shared personal experience. And and the next part of the psalm reveals a, a, a shared set of beliefs. Now, whether we are confessing truths about who God is with something like the Apostles' Creed, or confessing something about ourselves, When we are honest with our confession, we're admitting our limits. We're admitting that we are limited human beings and our need to be rescued, our our need to be to be saved. The words that are used in this part of the psalm, deliver, save, encamp, they they paint a a picture of an army with an impossible battle on the horizon. It's what we see in the story of of Joshua and, and Jericho. The Israelites are camping outside the city and, and Joshua is trying to figure out how they're going to, to tackle this behemoth of, of a city. Joshua is, is wandering around. I imagine he's, he's trying to come up with a strategy. How is this going to work? What, what does this look like? And then he sees a man coming toward him. And he calls out, Are you on our side? Or are you on the enemy's side? And the man replies, Neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And we're told in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14, that just like Peter at the feet of Jesus, Joshua falls face down in reverence. Now, most of us aren't necessarily fighting a, a literal battle. But we do need to be honest with our struggles. We do. We have to be open with them. Where do you need to be rescued? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's with an unhealthy habit. Where do you need to be rescued? In its simplest form, confession is an opportunity that we are given to approach God, to admit our own shortcomings, and to ask for help. Where do you need to be rescued? In the next section, we're we're given an invitation and a set of instructions. We're invited... To not just believe that God is good, but to, to truly experience the goodness of God. Over the last decade or so, cooking shows have, have taken off. And there's a, a few that Haley and I, that, that, that we enjoy together. Anybody like cooking shows? Anybody like, like cooking shows? Um, Master Chef. Anyone like Master Chef? That's not one of our favorites. You, you, you don't like it, Greg? Yeah, chopped. Anybody likes chopped? I've always wanted to do a church chops challenge and chopped. They give you a bunch of random ingredients and you have to come up with a meal. Um, uh, the great British bake off. We've got a couple. And, and my favorite, the American barbecue showdown. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's so good. <laughs> Seven or eight years ago, a friend of ours was was actually on Master Chef. And he was in law school at the time. He was leading worship at our our church. And and, and cooking was more than than just a hobby for him. But it was never his profession. And so he just disappeared for a month or so. And he couldn't tell anyone where he was going. He he couldn't tell anyone what he was doing. He just was gone for a month. And then a couple months later, he he said, Yeah, I I was on this reality TV show. None of us knew what it was. And he invited me over to his house to, to, to participate in a, in a watch party that was really just an incredible meal. Where, where he, he prepared the, the things that he cooked on the show Master Chef. Now, let me tell you, there is a huge difference between eating his meal, experiencing his meal, and watching it be made on TV. A huge difference. And that's what the psalm is getting toward. It's true that we don't get to experience the fullness of God's kingdom in the here and now, but we are invited to see a glimpse of it. Each and every day we're invited to experience it, to taste and see. And we do that by following the instructions that come in the next part of the psalm to listen to God. To fear the Lord, to desire life, to see good, to hold our tongues and, and to pursue peace. When we read fear the Lord in Scripture, we're not necessarily supposed to picture a person kind of cowering in, in, in the corner. It's more where we, we get the concept of, of awe, where we get the concept of, of reverence. During our, our family road trip a, a few weeks ago uh, up up and down California, we listened to three of the seven Chronicles of, of Narnia books. And one of my favorite quotes of all time uh, is from that series. It's from *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. And it's definitely an overused sermon illustration. So my guess is you've heard a pastor. I've probably used it before. You Use the illustration. But but what happens is 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 uh, all the children, the four of them, they're they're gathered in Mr. and Mrs. Beaver's house, and they're trying to figure out what what has happened. They're they're in Narnia together. And and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, they start talking about Aslan being on the the move again. And the the, the kids, Susan, she turns to, to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and says, is he safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? But he's good. But he's good. He's the king. When we think of fearing God, it's, it's that line, safe. Safe. Who said anything about safe? But He is good. The last eight verses of the psalm are an encouragement to persevere or, or to, to continue along in our journey. As followers of Christ, we're, we're never done growing in our faith from the, the four and five-year-olds that are in Sunday school right now to the, the oldest member of our congregation, we are, are never done growing in our faith. We're invited by David to reflect God's righteousness to the, to the rest of the world. And as we do that, as we reflect God's righteousness to the rest of the world, God sees us and we're given assurance that God hears our prayers, that God rescues us. Now, we're not told in this part of the psalm that life will be easy. Not at all. In fact, in verse 19, we're we're told quite the opposite, that there will be trouble. But we're also assured that we're we're not alone in those troubles. One way to put it is God doesn't, doesn't promise an easy life. He promises deliverance. The psalm ends with this line. The Lord will rescue, or the Lord will redeem, His servants. No one who takes refuge in Him will be condemned. Now every time that we we come to the table, as we're about to do in a, in a few minutes, we are standing in awe of the God who rescues us. We, we should approach this table with that feeling of, Reverence with that feeling of awe. Regardless of of what we use for the elements, whether it is fresh bread and wine, or it's these little prepackaged communion cups, when we come to the table, we have the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. So in a few moments, I'm going to invite Tom uh, down from the choir loft, one of our elders, to, to help uh, serve in communion with me. And then I'm going to invite you to come forward. And it's important that as we gather around this table, we remember that this, this isn't my table, that this isn't Westminster's table, this, this isn't the Presbyterian table. This table is for anyone who is following after Jesus. For ever, anyone who has is, is recognized that they are in need of being rescued. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we do stand in awe of you. Lord, we, we thank you for gathering us together to worship you. And we thank you for bringing us to this table. We give thanks for the elements that are on it and for the community of saints that we join together with as we celebrate.